0: Hey, what's up, you guys? You're listening to the Pink Chair Podcast. I'm your host, Lee. And on this very special episode, I will be speaking to Javonia Smith. She is the co-founder of a Forum Counseling, a Brooklyn native, a Libra, a social worker, a curator, so many different things. And um, this conversation that we had was amazing. Um, I left it feeling seen, I left it feeling centered and I feel like that's the case when you have a conversation with somebody that's like on the same timing as you on the same wavelength and if you are a repeated listener you're definitely in for a treat with this one so I hope you guys enjoy. My my little jewel for you guys today In this episode, something I'm going to start with is the fact that people can only meet you as far as they have met themselves. That is something that I have been thinking about a lot this week. I recently had a conversation with a family member where me receiving therapy was brought into the discussion. And instead of praising me for going to therapy and figuring out what's wrong with me and the the parts I try to hide from other people and my not-so-good size, um, I was, like, kind of ridiculed for it. And I took it very personally, and I was very hurt. And I had to realize that, like, this situation and what they said about me receiving therapy had nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. Um, And my jewel would be that. Like, people can only meet you as far as they met themselves. That conversation made me very grateful that... In other relationships in life where it's not my family, I have the option of whether or not like I am around them and I continue to speak to them because your family is is always there. Your family is always around, but I feel like other people, I want to say not so much. Um, Your friends are your chosen family. And the fact that I can choose to be around people that understand and that I don't have to explain myself to, I don't have to defend my decisions to, um, is really a blessing, a blessing that we are all given.
1: I am Javanya Smith and i from from Brooklyn, New York, and I am a social worker um, I did set out to be a social worker. I, I actually wanted to be a criminologist and a crime scene investigator. Wow. I used to watch a lot of CSI. Does CSI even still come on? I think so. <laughs> so I used to watch a lot of um, crime TV. I still do, actually. Uh, and I uh, went to school for undergrad and my first master's to to pursue that career. Um, I ended up working at a residential program for um, youth experiencing homelessness and disenfranchisement about 11 years ago at this point. I'm still there, I gotta go to work tonight. Um, and I think that in that moment, my my path or my, my thoughts about my purpose changed. Um, I was in an atmosphere or in an environment where a lot of young people were experiencing trauma. Um, violence, um, just a lot of different um, experiences that were foreign to me. I didn't necessarily have that experience growing up. So it was, it was, it was mind opening. I remember the first young person I met It was, it was hot outside. And I asked her why, why she didn't have on like, you know, summer clothes and I'm, I'm super young at this point. And I started working with the young people when I was 22 23 years old so some people in the young people some people in the program were older than me um but I had to you know play it off like you know I got this I fresh out of college I, I'm you know I'm a professional now yeah um yeah. and she was like uh, no I'm sorry I don't wear you know summer clothes so I'm just thinking like why' not girl? she's like no my mom burned me with cigarettes um from when I was younger so my body is scarred. And I'm like, oh shoot! Like this is real. Um, so similar, uh, devastating experiences that I've had with young people over the years, and just really being feeling like my purpose was to support um, their mental and emotional needs, but also to help propel them to the next stages of life. You know, as you can imagine, being 18 years old in this city with no education and no job, where are you going? what you what you about to do <laughs> and no family
0: yeah it's it's hard like me and my friend were just looking at apartments and we were just like
1: okay step one make a hundred thousand dollars literally <laughs> like, Li- yeah so with yeah so it, it, you know so I started working there um so then I had the opportunity to become a so so while I was working in the program they had a, a, a what was it, a scholarship situation to get your um, MSW um, for free. So I never wanted to be a social worker. I never necessarily thought about it. I just was like, whatever, I'm gonna go get this degree. Like, why not? So I went to school for my second master's and it was like the most amazing social work program experience um, that I had. And it just really affirmed um, the things that I already knew, the ways that I already lived my life, which was like empathetically positive, trauma-informed. So I'm like, okay, this is what being a social worker is about. And, and I've been a social worker. I've been licensed. I got licensed since 2018. Um, so I really uh, continue to work with the young people in the program, but I had an opportunity to get a job at the Department of Health, which um is a a role that's more macro I've always been micro I've always been working with the population so this particular role allows me to create policies and influence practices uh, specifically around mental health and mental health and wellness initiatives so this role is literally me going in and being like listen um, Alina is not a bad kid. She just got some stuff going on at home. Give her a minute. She'll be all right. And it's a super powerful role because a lot of educators weren't taught in this specific way. They're like, Johnny bad. Johnny gets into the principal office, period. He get an F. But There's like so much other things that are involved with how young people show up to school. And especially now where remote learning has like completely, you know, we're going to have a mental health crisis. Like they're tracking this generation right now with regards to how they develop um, because of what's going on with their education and things like that being online. So Um, I just go in and support virtual spaces now and just help the educators with self-care and like help them navigate remote learning. I help the families deal with the stress of teaching their kids at home Um, and all of that from. I was an RA at UB, so I always bring that up. <laughs> so from being an RA at UB to my current role and all the experiences in, in between allow me to create Reform and co- co-found Reform, which puts all of that stuff, all of the things I just talked about in one beautiful, uh, beautiful consulting business that allows for us to go in and support different people different organizations around all of that um and how to best you know move forward um either as a company or how to support the people who work for the company and you know that introspective work that is necessary for all of us to be successful um personally but also financially in in business-wise professionally so yeah, reform reform was started in 2018. So we've been able to be in a lot of different spaces, and just over the past year, we've been really passionate about creating healing circles and different workshops for people to come in and just be seen and heard. Because um, it's it's been a lot. <laughs> uh, this year has been a
0: lot. It's been a lot. Yeah. The word empath has just been a big buzzword, I feel like within the last year or so, a lot of people claiming to be empaths. I remember when I was in um, elementary school, I was born and in, re- in the projects and my elementary school was right next to the project. So a lot of the neighborhood children would go to that school. And from a young age, I could sense when a child's, just needed more attention at home or they weren't getting something that they needed and this was just their time to to get that because mm. any right. attention is good attention when you don't get it at all right right and I always wish that like my teachers saw what I was seeing I'm like am I like I'm also eight but I know that this is not really him because like he's really, really good at math and all these other things. And like, yeah. academically, it's almost, and I had, and like looking at my childhood, I was getting attention at home and I would come to school and they'd always put me as like the, the model student. And I'm just like, yeah, because I know how to behave and I'm doing well ac- academically, but there's a bunch of students in this school that do Well, academically low key, but just because of their home life, things aren't great when it comes to behavior at school.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like you've run into any problems like that? So, so my role uh, in this school is called a school mental health specialist role. And, and I've been here, I've been doing this work for, when did I start this job? I think like four years now. Yeah. Four years now I've been doing this work. And I was fortunate enough to be to be given a unique experience to, uh, we, we were responsible for 11 schools and half of my schools were in um, Park Slope and the other half of my schools were in Bed-Stuy. So my unique experience was going into my high performing um schools that were also um, also high uh, res- resource schools, right? So they had a lot of resources. I go into some of my Park Slope schools. They have four social workers, two guidance counselors, three principals, and all of these different ways to support. And I go into my Brownsville schools. They barely got one social worker that probably comes in two days a week. So I what I saw was the inequities in schools and how um, discipline was uh, different in each of these schools, and I also saw saw how the understanding and awareness of mental health and trauma um, and things like that were different. So I think it, it was so layered and it was so intersectional with regards to demographics of the neighborhood, the amount of resources they had in school, the demographics of the educators, um, because I went to some schools where the educators also experienced the same trauma. So when they're, when we're talking about a kid, the educators like, listen, my mom just gave me a whooping and sent me to school. So when you're dealing with educators who come from that own personal experience, it was kind of hard to educate them and raise awareness that the way you were raised wasn't okay either. Right. <laughs> right. People don't talk about that. Right. So it's not a matter of, Oh, y'all, you know, we're, y'all be, y'all's too soft on kids these days, or these kids need more discipline. And, you know, you know, a lot of the you know older educators come from the school of thought that kids are t- supposed to be seen, not heard and kids don't have opinions and thoughts and they just need to listen. It was a lot of that that I had to, you know, kind of unpack and like I said this work is not uh, is, is not qual is not quantitative. So I don't know, maybe 2 3 years from now if they still teaching it'll resonate, but the work is is really centered around getting folks to understand that there's more to a child's behavior than what you're necessarily seeing. And in my schools where um, kids were high high performing and discipline issues weren't necessarily the case, I had to educate them and convince them that there was still trauma happening with those young people. Because we know that behaviors are on a spectrum. Yeah, we got little, little Ray Ray throwing chairs, but we also got little Christina over here showing up and overachieving because of similar traumas Mm -hmm. Um, so just really understanding that spectrum and how children show up how to how to create space for young people to share how to ask the right questions um is really a part of of what I do and like I said educators don't come from this perspective um you know teaching school is about academics you know they they now, fortunately, they're doing like a more, lot like more SEL, social emotional learning curriculum for teachers. But a lot of the teachers were like, I taught what I'm supposed, I was taught what I'm supposed to teach. Like I didn't sign up to be nobody counselor or nobody therapist, but ultimately having some empathy um, and some level of communication skills um, to support the young people is a part of teaching and yeah as you can imagine a lot of teachers don't really feel either supported or motivated to show up for their children for the students in that way like outside of academics it's just like yeah they like and i'm like listen you're never they're never going to get 2 two, plus 2 right if you know they just saw their their father get beat up by their mother before they came to school right That's- <laughs> so no one's going to be thinking about math at that point. It's Nobody's like, thinking about your whole lesson that you worked hard on. <laughs> I, I feel like
0: maybe some of the teachers take that personally. Like, you're not paying attention to what I did, but mm-hmm. it's like I'm going through real-life things at home. Like, I don't have the mental space to add in this entire math
1: lesson. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, um, even even in capturing some of the language that's that's shared about young people who have behavioral issues, a lot of it is they're being disrespectful. And I'm like, here we go with this word. This word is so subjective. It makes no sense. Like what is actually happening? And this is just not even for this specific example, but for people claiming that people are disrespectful, right? It's like First of all, we, the awareness piece is first, you have to know your triggers. So your triggers look much different from my triggers. So what your definition of disrespectful are certainly gonna be a, aligned with your values and your triggers. So I will work work with some young people, I mean, some educators, some teachers, and they'll be like, so-and-so was disrespectful. And I'm like, what did they do? They yelled, like, what? That's not disrespectful to me. Like, (laughs) so just really being able to be more objective when we're thinking about students and being like, okay, someone threw a chair that was against school policy. But them rolling their eyes or not listen, not looking you in your face when you're talking to them. Maybe you haven't given them the reason to respect you. So Mm -hmm. now we back at square one. (laughs) Or maybe they grew up in an environment where they don't even necessarily know what respect even looks like. That, that
0: could very well be the case. Right. I, <laughs> I'm a nanny right now for a French family. French okay. Family. And me growing up with my mom, Hispanic, I was just like, sometimes they say things and I'm just like, was I thinking like this as a seven-year-old? Mm. I just didn't say anything because I didn't want to rock the boat. Because the thoughts are so complex. I'm like, how are you seven saying things like this? Like,
1: so I think think that I know. I I think that that this generation of young people, I think they are going to be put in a great place to be what we need to see. Because they are given the space to learn and explore and to question and to consider and to think of so many things that, you know, our parents and certainly their parents never even had the opportunity to consider. Like, even what you said earlier, where, you know, you asked our parents or even asked me when I was younger, when I was seven, what did you want to be? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's what we ask all young, you know, kids. And it was like maybe like four or five options, right? You could be a teacher, a doctor, a firefighter, a nurse. That was a writer. That pretty much was it, right? You ask a seven-year-old now, they've been upset. They want to be a stylist. They want to be an influencer. They want to be a YouTube artist. They want to be... (laughs) <laughs> a gamer a mic. A youth, they want to be a youth uh, a podcast host um so I think that the vastness of our our thoughts is is so beneficial and important now and I always you know think about our ancestors in that way. how much different would the world be would we be as as descendants? if they were allowed that space and opportunity to really and truly be themselves um, Mm -hmm. because they were Dream and to dream of things. And And to to, to be joyful. Right.
0: Like even now, like when I watch a movie, like, and even like in my books, like I'm looking for books about black joy because I'm a little exhausted. It's (laughs) radical. The black struggle all the time. Like right now I'm reading um the bluest eye okay for the first time and I'm just like love it but I need to smile (laughs) and I can't with this book right now
1: no I mean it's complex and I think that you know even with respect to not only necessarily with respect to like their professional selves like being able to choose a career that they were passionate about but even like um, family styles, you know, even thinking that you had to be married and had to be um, heterosexual, and you had to produce children, um, just a lot of those thoughts that were could have could have been toxic um, for for our ancestors. And you know, if you went against went against the grain, you were like this whole black sheep or whatever you know the language yeah. language could be for that but we're in a space now where like listen you know we're we're on this this stage or this phase now it's like if this doesn't support my current growth or my future then I don't want like really no parts of it and we have we're fortunate enough to be able to make those decisions of, of you know for our lives like people places and things could be cut off real quick if it's not sitting well within our energy um and I don't think that was necessarily something that was celebrated or encouraged prior to us doing it right now. Just now, when I was with my friend, she was telling me that
0: one of her cousins was like, you should be nicer to like this like male relative. Like you should just <laughs> like, you like like you just have like an ear, like nobody can speak to you. And she was just like, Well, what if I just don't want to talk to him? Like, why can't it just be that? And I was yeah. also listening to this other this other podcast by Amanda Seals. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love it, and I've seen her live. She's amazing. Ooh. I I want to see her live too when I open. She comes here. I mean, prior to Rona, she came here a lot. I definitely want to see her. Um, I know she talks about smart,
0: funny, and black a lot. I want to see if that's about. Mm-hmm. Um, she was saying how her mom was just such a strong figure, but when there would be like male company, like a cousin or an uncle, she would just become like a servant, like a side servant. And she could just never understand. She's just like, you were just the boss of this house and had everything in order. Now you're just quietly serving plates and making sure that you make minimal noise. Mm. Like that kind of goes against who you are like why are you pushing yourself into this role right now because this Mm. is this is how women are supposed to be and this is the only thing that's acceptable
1: yeah that's that's really deep I haven't I just didn't necessarily hear that episode but that has me thinking just for you and I are there are, are all the spaces that we occupy do we necessarily feel that we could show up as a hundred percent authentically ourselves.
0: I feel like sometimes that's easier said than done, mm-hmm. but it's very necessary. So the future generation could see that that is okay. Like they, I see agree. Them. They're just like okay. Like she's doing this, so I can do it as well. And I feel like once someone does it, does something and you see, okay, trial, error, but they made it. They they walked so you could run. It's like okay, now in thirty years, forty years, more women will come into spaces and just be like, I'm here with my braids, don't say
1: anything. I I love, I know I always say that. Listen, I usually have a lipstick. I'm like, with my braids and my earrings and my red lipstick and I'm here, what happened? Um, But I think that, you know, as we're talking about it, I think that a large part of that work is actually being able to identify and articulate who you are authentically. And I think that, for most of us, we won't probably have an issue showing up as that person, but I think the larger issue is figuring out who that person is um, and what we want that person to be, what we want that person to look like, how we want that person to show up. And it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of reflective work. It's a lot of unpacking to even understand why you have the values you have and where they come from. And maybe if some values are from your parents or your ancestors that you don't necessarily agree with being okay and comfortable with being like, that's not my value. Maybe that was how I was raised, but this is not who I am now. Um, so it's a lot, cognitive dissonance is real. We don't ever want to believe that the stuff we believe is not okay. <laughs> uh so yeah I think that um work for me and I think that work for maybe other folks who is going to listen to this is really being able to identify who that person is yeah I feel like
0: growing up structure was very very important for me and I didn't see that too much structure and too much routine and things could be negative at some times and then coming home being here for four years being back here I was just like okay structure routine can't do that it's the pandemic why do I feel guilty for being in bed until 10 o'clock yeah like, but what's I, I deserve to rest I deserve to calm down there's nothing to do but rest why can't I do that well you know rest is radical too yeah and I, I was reading something about that like calming down, you're already fighting demons doing that. Like, Mm -hmm. just taking a nap, you're killing it today.
1: Oh, listen, naps are certainly a part of my self-care plan.
0: Every Um, day. (laughs) I always thought, before that, I always saw self-care as something expensive that I have to go out and buy. I have to buy self-care. And I'm like, I have an avocado at home. I can make a hair mask. Like, how can we not make, self-care a thousand dollars a month because with therapy like my therapy isn't expensive because I got it during COVID and the prices were lower and I was like don't play with me right now for uh-huh. Um but when I've spoken to other people about therapy they're just like oh like I can't do it because it's not my insurance or I can't do it because like I don't have the money for it or I don't feel like it's worth all of my money and I'm just like the people I thought like the people that need and deserve therapy the most are the ones that like have no access to
1: it mm-hmm. um, yeah it's it's super unfortunate the beautiful thing about the pandemic like you shared was that a lot of practitioners recognize the need and also recognize the value in their work and we're really um and we're really uh, mindful about putting out putting it out into the community, whether it was through like, you know, discounted sessions or like healing circles, group community sessions and things like that. But it is something that um, could be considered classes. Um, well, if you have the money to heal yourself, then you will versus if you don't. But like you shared about self-care, we know that there are, you know, I I don't want to say that issues that need therapy could be healed in other ways. Folks need therapy, period, right? And if your situation, your condition is to the point where you need therapy, you absolutely have to access it. However, and in the interim or in that same path of healing yourself, there are other ways that you can cope with what's going on in your life through self-care. That's why it's extremely important to to demystify what self-care even looks like so that everyone understands that it's accessible for everyone. Whereas therapy might follow classes, you don't got the coins, you can't see a practitioner, but self-care is for everyone, right? Yeah everyone can afford it, everyone has the time for it. So really we just have to change our understanding of it. Listen, I like massages and I also like taking bubble baths, but I know that if I can't afford a massage or I don't have time to take a bubble bath, there's work that still needs to be done. So we have to be more realistic and practical with our self-care plans and especially during a pandemic It even has to take another more realistic perspective because a lot of things that maybe we did prior to going for walks, going swimming, all these different things are not accessible to us anymore. So really just understanding, like for me, people were like, oh, meditate, meditate, meditate. And I tried for a long time. I was falling asleep every single time. Like this meditation thing is not for me. Like I'll just be sleepy. But, you know, I figured out how to utilize an app to give me the meditation um, energy while I'm in the shower. Um, so that's free, right? Mm-hmm. It's accessible because this is already what's going on in my life. Um, affirmations. I, I started a gratitude jar um, and I learned something really unique about gratitude um, a couple of years ago was that waking up and saying a message of gratitude releases the same chemicals in your body as antidepressant medication. So yep. you mean to tell me I cannot take medicine, but if I just wake up and share a message of gratitude that it releases the same endorphins and all of those chemicals in my body. So like being able to understand like those distinctions and like small meaningful things we could do throughout our day, to help us cope with whatever is happening um, is extremely important. And understanding that it doesn't cost money. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time to wake up and say I'm grateful for life or, or whatever in the middle of the day to take a walk. Uh, what do you do for self-care? So I do so much. <laughs> I, I
0: meditate. Um, meditation used to be a lot easier for me and now it's becoming a little bit more difficult. Um, But I'm using Headspace right now. I write. write, um, What else do I do? I do like the surface things, like taking care of my hair more or doing a face mask, taking a long, long shower, Mm -hmm. um, singing by myself, dating by myself, doing yoga. I'm always trying to do different things to pour into myself. Mm -hmm. make myself happy Mm -hmm. um but I feel like even in that sometimes I could find myself being like self-sufficient to the point where I'm just like people I have face masks (laughs) like who needs that right now Mm -hmm. and so I've had to kind of like okay half of this is going to be like self-care physical care half of this was going to be like professional therapy and then partially just like working on my relationship with other people is self-care because those people do affect you. They do let you let in your life. So right. That I am creating boundaries of people when they ask me to do something and I really don't want to do it. No. And then no, as the, a complete, complete the, sentence. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. No. And, um, yeah, I have an affirmation list that I say to myself in the morning. I change mm-hmm. it every a month. Um, I feel like me being 22, or I'll also be 23, in the pandemic, mm. and being a first-gen grad has been a lot on the mental health, so I had to really up my self-care because I just feel like you already are just like, okay do I belong here in this space? Okay, I graduated, but now what do we do when we can't do anything? Like a lot of people, I feel like experience post-grad depression mm. because they feel like they have to just automatically walk into a job. And on, uh,
1: nobody told y'all in the beginning of the four years that that wasn't the reality. <laughs> it's like,
0: it's just like people tell you, but you still have that like, weird expectation and not having like it was already hard to do that but now it's like 10 times harder than it ever was before in the history of so speaking to my friends has definitely helped my fellow 2020 graduate even students that went to other schools people that I have met on the internet friends that I've made just all talking about how like this is not how we thought our early 20s were going to be but okay (laughs) like we can't do anything
1: about it i I mean yes and i love i love that i love that you all are communicating i i would much much rather encourage folks to create spaces and communities where they feel comfortable sharing these things rather than feeling isolated maybe feeling like they're the only one having this experience and, and and basically suffering in silence um I would also add to that. I love healing circles and in virtual spaces, they've been a lot more accommodating and accessible for people. So I will just add just as an aside, if you ever want to get folks together to create a healing circle surrounding that post-grad depression and have some like old people like us who are like, listen, <laughs> we're like over 10 years since we graduated undergrad and we still are like, trying to navigate and figure things out to really just create that um, space of self-compassion. That's one thing that we don't do so well about is giving ourselves grace um, and giving ourselves compassion about a lot of things. Um, And sometimes we may find that we're super, super hard on ourselves. Um, So it it really might take someone else to be like, listen, you're walling. like relax a little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) literally me to
1: myself like um, so mindfulness um is a practice that I always offer and encourage people to kind of look into um because mindfulness really grounds us to the present so it doesn't allow us to dwell on like on our past so much and it also doesn't allow us to have so much anxiety surrounding our future but really just allows us to be in the present in the moment to either have gratitude over our present selves or just to really take take stock of our strengths and and our other abilities and how we show up in the world. So that's one practice I will certainly encourage is a bunch of different mindfulness practices. And then also um, I replace to-do lists um, well, not necessarily replace, but I started to write to-feel lists, which would then inform my to-do list, which has been a helpful practice for me. So that same way, if you're know, if you like most people, you wake up in the morning and you wake up on that Monday, my to-do list for the week, right? What I got to get done. So kind of being able to create a to-feel list. um, based off of that mindfulness practice, right? Really having awareness of your body, awareness of yourself so that you can then make the necessary steps to navigate whatever whatever to do things you have to get through. So if you wake up on that Monday and you're having, you have so much mindfulness of how your body and your mind and how it's showing up and you're on that Monday, like, you know, Javanya, you're not in a good space this week. You're like, exhausted, you have your mind is racing, your your stomach is in knots because of so much stress, this may not necessarily be the week that you put so much on your to-do list because you're more than likely not going to be able to accomplish it. Just focus on waking up, eating healthy, drinking right, moving your body, and getting through the next week, right? So at the middle of the week, if I was able to just accomplish that, you feel successful,
0: before we continue a quick message from our sponsors
1: now on some Mondays you may wake up and you may look in the mirror like yes okay Mm. it's time like let's do this you know you get that you get that motivation you maybe put your little outfit on Feel you you could tell like you already know when your energy is different you maybe put a little eyeliner on do your hair like you could tell So in that week, what I would encourage is like, listen, I got this energy. I'm in the spirit. Let me put those two or three tasks on my to-do list that I've been thinking of because now I have the energy to do it. And more than likely, your to-do list is going to be aligned with how you feel and you're going to accomplish your goals. So that's just a little way that you could kind of navigate that that, that self-compassion and grace but also still make sure you're showing up for yourself first in order to show up for those other things and those other people that you have to do. But it starts with that awareness piece because you know, when you wake up and you in the mood to get some shit done and other times you're like, Oh, look, the most I got today is an Instagram scroll. (laughs) Yes, for sure. The, The Instagram scroll will
0: suck you in in the morning. It will suck you in. (laughs) I'm <laughs> looking at pandas. I'm looking at recipes. I'm muting IG models. Yeah,
1: have, are you body. on
0: Clubhouse? <laughs> I am on Clubhouse. I got really confused, so I was just like, uh, "This is not for me." But the same thing happened with me and TikTok. Like, I was just like, "I can't be on that." Like, that is not for my generation. And then I realized, like, I am a uh, millennial. Like, mm-hmm. I understand the problems of millennials, but I also can communicate with someone that's in Generation Z and
1: understand what they mean. <laughs> yeah. I just has, was speaking to someone on LinkedIn, and she makes YouTube videos about um debt debt collecting and, and, and fixing your credit and stuff. And she's like, I make these YouTube videos, like, every week, and nobody watches them. I get no no views. And I'm like, listen... Keep making them videos. You never know who's going to watch it one day, and it might change your life. Like, as long as you feel passionate and committed about the work you're putting out, continue to do it. So, that's something that I also have to constantly remind myself too. Like, listen, likes and views don't necessarily determine impact. And I think that um, the work that you and I do can't necessarily be qualified. It's not qualitative. We can't add it up and be like, "Oh, this how many people listen, and this how many people I've impacted," because it doesn't necessarily work like that. It's like you don't know what's gonna happen. They may say, "You know, I listened to an episode of that podcast five years ago. Now I'm really starting to understand what she was talking about." (laughs) and You never know. They might have a conversation with somebody else about something that you said, and then that person was like, "Hey, I have this jewel for you." Listen, I'm always giving credit. I'll be like, listen, I listened to this podcast yesterday. I seen a meme yesterday, whatever, because we're inspired constantly. That's why it's also important to make sure your your social media is curated to like the energy and life you want, because we don't know how much of that we're digesting on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So for me... Like I was just talking to my friend. Like I'm on food pages, (laughs) like little kids. I just found this cute little girl earlier. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be watching her from now on, and just like, just really being mindful of how much that stuff we take in and how much it impacts our mental and emotional health, either through like comparison, you constantly seeing things in your life that you don't necessarily have, and And are starting to, you know, starting to internalize maybe some messages about I don't have this husband. I don't have these kids. I don't have this house. I don't have this career. Um, So really just making sure you follow people and pages that make you feel good about yourself, that inspire you. Um, And I'm greedy. So that helped me cook. (laughs) Really good um,
0: Instagram. I think it's called Black Girls and Trader Joe's. Really? Okay, yes. let me make note of that, because I love this from Trader Joe's, okay? It's verified in
1: everything, and she comes, I think, every week she has a recipe. Wow, I love that. Listen, mm-hmm. them, them chicken shawarma thighs in that bag is everything. If you haven't had it, it's everything. <laughs> I like their naan. Their naan is really good. So oh, like- yes, yes. Their naan is good. Everything like I always love trying like new recipes and uh, from Trader Joe's and just new stuff they have. Different little international nights, you know. I was I had a whole Asian inspired meal the other day.
0: <laughs> I love their international food, and I'm glad that they changed some of the names because they were a little offensive.
1: Okay, I wasn't. I'm not familiar with that.
0: So for food that was from Asia, they tra- they changed Trader Joe's to Trader Ming food that was Spanish inspired it was Trader Jose what yeah and I was like yeah I have to do better like who signed that up- is so okay. ridiculous
1: <laughs> like who is working back there that, working- that is that is so ridiculous just to even think about how you could have been informed properly if you had just had the right people on your team, you and I could have sat there and said, I don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) Like you're going to offend somebody. Yeah. I'm not understanding. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting that like we, you and I could be hired to literally go in and tell people that that's not okay. When you and I would think that it would be like common sense, but it is also very telling about privilege. And it's also very telling about things that you don't necessarily have to worry about or concern yourself with because it doesn't impact you. Yes. So Jose might've walked in and felt some type of way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like what's happening?
0: (laughs) We're like, oh, at first they were like on the fence. They were just like, oh, but we also have for the Italian food, Trader Giotto. Stop. Stop. Ew, it doesn't matter.
1: Be doing it at, <laughs> it at all. Wow. That's interesting. That's why, yeah. That's exactly why I am branding myself and my new brand is a like diversity, dive equity, and inclusion consultant because we're qualified just off the strength of being persons of color, like literally, because it's so fascinating how the people sitting in the room, the people sitting at the table don't have the wisdom experience or knowledge to even make the decisions for our dollars that they're making. Um, because we know that our dollar is, is, is up there, right? You know, our, our dollar runs this country. Um, and, and we're not even at the table to make the decisions that influence where we're spending our money. Um, and if you are
0: at the table, you're BP <laughs> of urban affairs.
1: Yeah, yeah. like I have uh, other qualifications. I can do other things.
0: <laughs> like why would I pick for this position?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and a friend and I were just talking about revisiting like Black Lives Matter Spirit Week that we had over the summer and i remember just sitting there and getting so many emails i think i took a screenshot that every email i received was like we stand in solidarity black lives matter and i'm like is this a joke or something like this is the, like this can't be real like everybody sat down and decided to launch this this statement about how they're standing and doing X, Y, and Z, and now we're like six, seven months later, we really need to revisit some of those statements to see how much action and energy they put behind it because I like to think it was spirit week. But, you know, some people are doing some things, um, but ultimately I'm like, that was nuts. (laughs) It was was
0: definitely... Surface level activism.
1: Yeah, real, real, real performative. For
0: sure. <laughs> I'm like every day I'm getting, we stand with you, blah blah blah. Like I have lived with two women <laughs> before, and I remember when I had first moved in with my dad. My dad is from the south. He was just like, like keep your ideas that you have about certain political things to yourself like don't bring it up too much because like I don't know what the fuck about to happen Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm just like I'm still gonna say whatever I have to say and I don't care how anybody feels about it Mm -hmm. like that's my truth whatever and I didn't realize like I guess how serious he was Mm -hmm. and even like last year during that spirit week I was going out with my friends and my mom, who's Puerto Rican, was just like, um, if you see any, like, white people, specifically white women, like, be careful. Mm. Know? And I'm just like, are we living in the, like, 1950s right now? Like, I never really had to think about how these things were affecting me because I live in an inner city. Like, I speak to mm-hmm. different people every single day. Right, right like wait what like I really have to say I'm like let me get out of my bubble and really sit down like and the white women that I lived with they were just like what can we do to be better white women like and I'm just <laughs> just stop staring at people at the grocery store uh, uh, mind your business sometimes get in the back
1: yeah of, I of mean there movement. are a lot of ways there are certainly a lot of ways um, but I, I just really love like, you know, we, we I always say that being a person of color, being a black person in this country is a constant state of psychological warfare with not necessarily knowing whether you're doing too much or doing too little. So especially when the uh, the civil and racial unrest really um Manifested last last year in a bunch of different ways, and they've included twenty twenty one with the Capitol riot riots. Just really not knowing your place in the uh, the social change ecosystem. So I know there was a lot of people like wondering if being you know in Soho and doing all of that was a part of their mission. And you know, for our work, my work, I really had to allow people to take a step back from that and be like, listen, you going down, being a protester may not be your ministry and that's okay. But like you shared, not not adhering to like these respectability politics or not feeling like you have to code switch could be your ministry. And that's also equally important, um, an equally important part of this work. So that was really important for people to understand because if you weren't tweeting about it, if you weren't making these posts, if you weren't um, downtown at the protest, you didn't necessarily feel like you were making an impact. And also you felt like you were criticized or judged about not showing up for our people in that particular way. But I was telling people, listen, are you watching these kids while those people are going down to the protest? Are you that healer? Are you creating space for people to share how they're feeling? Are you that podcast host? Are you creating workshops? Are you um, Are you creating art? I don't know if you went downtown um, after the protest, which was an important thing for me to go down after everything happened. And I promise you, I've been in this city for my whole life. I've never seen something like that. Like with the artwork, with the Black Lives Matter, with like that, those uh, artists who came out and made those murals were equally important part of the work as the people who did the protest. So really just navigating and understanding how you you need to show up because everybody role ain't down there getting uh, pepper sprayed and, and, and maced and all that. It certainly wasn't my ministry. I wasn't, I, I mean, I wasn't going down there, but <laughs> but I was creating healing circles and spaces for people to, to hop on a Zoom to talk about how trauma is showing up, how race is showing up in their lives and things like that. So that was my ministry. It was a super scary time. And I'm like, along with, us being
0: in a recession and a pandemic at the same time that happening was like, whoa, we right. were really at war with so many things right now. Um, I feel like even me just saying that I'm a podcast host is just radical in itself because radical. I, I struggled with saying that for so long, deep into it, like months after I was like, why am I still struggling with, Saying what
1: I am and just living as if. What, what did you? Said. What did you? Uh, what did you come to the conclusion with regards to that?
0: I thought a lot about my ancestors during that time, and I was just okay. like, I know that trauma could come through generations, of course, and I'm thinking years ago, it would, it wasn't an option for you to really decide who you were going to be. It was just like, you got to do this and you have to be on survival. You have to take care of your kids. You have to protect your kids. You have to protect yourself because all of these other forces coming down against you and not saying those forces are not there to this day. But I'm just thinking like, I am from slavery, like and genocide and all of these different things. They didn't have an option to say my podcast host. Mm-hmm. So me going up against that and choosing something for myself, I feel like my brain was just, like, wired to be, like, no, but this. This mm-hmm. is what you have to do. What Maybe what other people tell you what, what you have to do. And me not doing that. And I just did so much um, ancestor work. And I was talking to my therapist. And I was just, like, can, like, trauma be transferred through, through like, genes or anything? And she was, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like definitely whatever your ancestors went through is still living in you today. Mm-hmm. And I just I wasn't thinking about that as much. And I just thought about where I am now. And I'm like, I'm I know that they're probably super proud, but this is like this is a hump that I'm gonna have to get over for them.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, that ancestral work is important. Just being able to stay grounded in your passion and your purpose, because ultimately um, you and I can say our purpose or specifically you can say your purpose is to tell the story that necessarily our ancestors weren't even able to tell um, mm-hmm. in a specific way. So um, I think that it's a very powerful position um, and we are living ancestors in ourselves. So we also have to continue to remind ourselves of that as well. What do we want our legacy to be when our, you know, the people, the generations who come after us, when we're dead and gone, what do they want to say about you? And, and, and ultimately they're going to say you stood in your truth and you created a platform for folks to tell their story when it was important and necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially considering our ancestors had to do it in so many creative and other ways, we have the platform to do it in this specific way. So it needs to be done. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a, of a selfless act um, for you, um, just creating a vessel for this work and these conversations to be put out, put out into the world so that people can hear them. Um, and like you said earlier, we never know what is who is gonna resonate with or. Who's gonna who is gonna touch? But just being that vessel is enough. Um, and and you know just always be grounded and remind yourself that you are doing you are doing the work. I'm doing the work. You're doing the work. Everybody who's has these type of platforms or 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 who are creating space for people who look like you and I to talk about things that maybe our parents never spoke about or or their parents certainly. Never spoke about, right? Um, mm-hmm. Trauma, pain, um, depression, inadequacies, um, just all these different feelings that were you, you know, historically um, met with. You'll be all right. Suck it up. Maybe you should eat <laughs> or take a nap. Like, <laughs> yeah. Pr- no, no, this is it. Pr- we're going to pray on it. <laughs>
0: we pray on it a nap and food is like the cure-all to any mental health concern. And it's like, "Mm, it's not like that. (laughs) I live live with my mom now and her parents came from Puerto Rico. And I never really thought how their experience coming here and not knowing English and having to make away from themselves and not knowing people, how that affected maybe their parenting style.
1: Right. Right.
0: Just like you can't do anything because I'm unfamiliar with this place. And now you can't become familiar here. Like we because I feel like an alien here. I have to give that to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we you know, we have to like kind of consider like the circumstances in the, the era, you know, our ancestors were in with regards to a lot of the a lot of the things that they did were protective measures. Um so we kind of live in a world where we're like listen take it or leave it I am who I am and we don't necessarily have that same energy around protecting ourselves protecting our family as they had to so we definitely pay homage to their experiences and honor that um I remember I was in a training one day and it was a group of young younger you know younger people millennials and then there was like one older woman in the training and we were basically talking about respectability politics and, you know, how we're over it, how I'm showing up in trainings where I'm getting paid twenty five hundred dollars for 90 minutes with these earrings on and these braids. Because <laughs> this is this is this is what you get. Right. This is who I am. Um, so she said, you know, she pushed back a little bit on the content. And she said, well, you know, I get all of that, but I come from a place where if you don't show up looking a particular way, you're not going to be respected. Um, you're not going to get the, the same amount of respect as you probably would. Which, you know, we, we listened and we heard her out. And I understand that to an extent um, because, again, the lady came to the training. She had a three-piece suit on. This is like on a Wednesday and a regular a regular, like, regular training. This is obviously before before Rona. She was dressed to the T. And, you know, we kind of had her unpack that a little bit. And I remember the trainer, she said, I'm always prepared for this conversation. And she started showing us images of during the civil rights era um, and when there was so much segregation and disrespect towards people who look like you and I. And she said, Look at all of these people. They all got suits on. They all, look at the women. They all dressed nice. And then there was in that moment, we're like, wow. So it didn't even matter. They all, you you remember, you, they think about the images not, right now.
0: Headbands on, dressed nicely on. Like,
1: <laughs> the same men who the hoses the hoses was put on had suits on. They had they had everything. So when the you know presenter presented that to her, she's like, you know, she had to think about it a little bit, like, okay, but just really understanding that if you have value and the people who you are presenting in front of, who you're engaged with, understand and respect that value, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Um, and that's just where I stand. But I do also understand our ancestors and the people who came before us who, who understand a different environment. But I do. Listen, I will not go so far as far and say, like, you showing up to a job interview with baggy jeans. And I don't like baggy jeans by anybody, period. But, you know, it, we play a thin line. It's that psychological warfare thing we always have to balance navigating different spaces in this world in general. Just like, how do I show up? Am I too? And as a black woman, I'm like, am I speaking too much? Should I, should I not speak enough? Is my, I'm, you know, it's always these thoughts that are constantly in our mind when we're showing I'm up to aggressive. It can be overwhelming. Um, but just again, just being mindful to doing that whole awareness, um, process you know on a daily just to know like where your energy is or you know I always say people like a noun it's it's like it's like a noun like the people places and things like is this person how is this person showing up in my energy how is this place showing up in my energy how is this thing showing up in my energy and that way you'll be able to know should I cultivate this more or should I fall back because this is not aligning with how I want to feel, but also not aligning with where I want to go. And as messed up as that, all of that feels and sounds is certainly necessary for our own peace and in progress. I'm like, I told, I told my friends yesterday, I feel like I haven't responded to a text message in over a week. And I was like, I don't necessarily feel bad because maybe the people I were were talking to, I didn't prioritize because they weren't aligning with my current self, which is business and things I need to get done. And my future self, which is elevation and again, business and things I need to get done. So I'm like, I don't feel like I'm have a communication problem. It's just that I don't want to communicate with y'all because y'all are not there's no reason. Y'all are not giving me value or purpose. Right.
0: <laughs> like, I want to talk about this L L C You're
1: talking about the new drama on the shade room. No. I can't do no. that. <laughs> don't, n- listen, I don't judge. Listen, if you want to listen to that, if you want to give your energy to that, by all means, somebody got to do it. They got to keep the show running. But now, <laughs> Me, personally, I'm okay. I got... So many things to do. Where can the people find you on your socials? So I can be found on Instagram, Reform Consulting, at Reform Consulting. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Giovanni Smith, which has a lot more of our links to some of our workshops and our videos and trainings that we've done we really just like coming in and creating spaces where folks can feel engaged. Um, you know, you're, you, these, these trainings and things that they make you do at work sometimes can be extremely boring and monotonous. Um, so we come in with like a different style and a different platform, but yet with the same knowledge and information to impart on people. Um, so yeah so reform consulting for sure um, www.reformconsulting.com our website is currently being redone we actually took brand uh, we had a brand media day yesterday which was super dope um, new photos new interview yeah so we're just excited we love to collaborate we love to do panels we love to work with people whose mission is aligned with ours which is healing. Mental health and wellness for black and brown folks, period. Mm. (laughs) We love that. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And I certainly will direct anyone else to your platform who has a story to tell, a message to share with the people like we spoke about earlier, because you are a vessel and your work is necessary and valuable. So continue to do great things, have great people on your platform, such as myself. And and do your thing because it's dope. Thank you so much for your words.
0: (laughs) That is it, you guys, for this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed. She was amazing. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to joining one of her healing circles soon. And whenever I get information on that, I'm definitely going to share it. Make sure you guys are leaving reviews on my Apple Podcast page and following me at Ad Pink Chair on IG and Alina the Aries on TikTok. Enjoy your Fridays. Bye.